Hey everyone, welcome to the 25th episode of Baseline Intelligence, the podcast designed to make you a better tennis player and a smarter athlete. I'm your host, Jonathan Stokey. Today's guest is Desiree Kravchek. Des is a four-time mixed doubles major champion, having won Wimbledon twice and the U.S. Open and French Open in 2021. She has seven career doubles titles on the WTA Tour and reached a career-high ranking of 10th in the world this past summer. On today's episode, we discuss doubles positioning, where to hit your returns, what she looks for in a partner, and why the fake signal is overrated. So sit back, relax, and prepare to become a smarter tennis player. All right, Des, welcome to the pod. Thanks for having me, John. So Des, you are my white whale. Uh, we tried to do this, I think it was February of this year, and you were either in Doha or Dubai. And I was new to the podcast game, didn't have a master's degree in the website I used to record, uh, wasn't technically savvy. We had some issues. And when we recorded it, at the end, I realized the audio was completely unusable. And that was like seven months ago. And so we finally have found the time to do this. And my anxiety is through the roof. I'm watching the record light flashing and hoping everything is going well. A lot has happened since our first failed attempt at this. Uh, and in the last six to seven months, you've had an awesome year and you briefly touched the top 10 WTA doubles rankings in July. So tell me what it was like to reach that milestone for the first time. Oh, I mean, I think your milestone as, you know, someone you want to, you always have a small goal and every year it's to, you know, get your ranking up higher, do better in tournaments and grow. But when I reached top 10, it was like, it was a short amount of time, but it was, no, it was great. It was like, okay, that achievement's unlocked. Like I've, you know, I've done that, but the next goal is to kind of just sustain that and be up there and know that I can, you know, compete with the best and consistently be at that ranking. You've won multiple mixed Grand Slam titles. You've won WTA doubles events, but is reaching the top 10 or winning a big event, is it one of those things where you believe you're good enough to accomplish it before you've done it? Or do you feel like you did it and then you had that self-confidence and belief that you were actually good enough to be at that level? I think it's more so like I believe it, you know, when I get up there. But I think for me, it was, you know, winning the Grand Slams. That was more so like, oh my God, like, you know, I can believe in myself, like whether, even though it's mixed, you know, it helps you gain confidence for doubles and other tournaments. It's just playing on these big stages. It's, it's so cool to be in this position and, you know, you dream about that, but uh, no, I think that it just becomes a lot of belief into, you know, the next matches and, you know, next tournaments and putting yourself in those pressure situations where you are playing the finals and you're like, you know what, like I'm going to step on court and I have the belief that I can win. That belief is so hard to get. And I know for me, if I was playing someone of a certain ranking or a rating and I had never beaten them before, I had a wall mm -hmm. and I would question if I was good enough to actually do it. And I would kind of pigeonhole myself where I thought I should be. So if I was playing a higher seed, maybe I shouldn't win that one. But if I was playing a lower seed, I should definitely win that one. Is there anything that you do with your mental practice or in training that helps you build confidence and belief? Um, I think it's more so just, you know, the repetition of like telling yourself or writing it down, like, hey, like, this is what I want to achieve. This is you know, believe in myself, I've done the work, I've, you know, I've gotten to this position before, and you got to step on court and then kind of just go out for go out and swing. Like, that's kind of my mentality is, you know, you're going to be nervous, like you can't, 
it's hard to just, you know, control that sometimes, but when you get out there and you just maintaining and controlling those nerves, it's just, you kind of just have to swing for me. That works, but I don't know other people, you know, it's a little different. They need to write things down or look at notes and stuff like that. But yeah, I think for me, that part just kind of comes out. And I think bringing the energy as well helps me when I get nervous or, you know, the belief needs to kick in. So, uh, yeah. You're currently 16 in the world. And as I mentioned, you got as high as 10 in the world in July. But the interesting thing is your win-loss record is 39 and 25. So hopefully I'm not telling you anything that you're finding out for the first time. No, I didn't even know that. (laughs) So that means you've won 61% of your matches. And let's be honest, almost anyone in the world would die to be in your shoes with your ranking and accomplish what you have. You made the tour finals, you were top 10, you had an amazing year. But even in that year, there's a lot of losing that takes place. So how do you handle losing games, sets, matches, and keeping yourself positive and keeping yourself going through a long year when it's pretty much guaranteed you're going to face that adversity? Yeah, you definitely are going to lose a lot more than you win. But, uh, you know, and that makes the winning so much more special and sweet. I think, you know, as long as you're growing in every tournament, we playing doubles here. There's so many deuce points. It came down to it can come down to ten point breakers almost every time, and that could be a coin toss. So I think it's just handling those pressure situations and knowing, you know, trusting yourself and doing those right things, and coming off the court saying, you know what, I did everything right, and you know, I gave 100, percent and you should be happy with that. You know, in those weeks where you're losing, if it's first round or you know you're losing the finals, I think. If you're growing in those weeks and practicing well and doing the right things, it's going to come. It's going to come along. It's as everyone says, trust the process. <laughs> but no, it is true. You got to just you got to just keep doing the same things and learning from, you know, the losses. Like I think learning from losses is a key to getting better and growing and, you know, developing your game. Do you have a consistent post-match process? Uh, whether you win or lose, where you go back and evaluate your shots, your tactics, so you can accurately evaluate your performance? Well, I could definitely be better at this, but when I lose, I'm obviously trying to cool down and just, you know, I don't talk about the match right after, but me and my doubles partner, we kind of just go our separate ways and then we just kind of take our time for ourselves and, you know, we think about the match and then that night or the next morning we talk about what went well, what we need to work on, what could have been better, the pros and cons of it. So yeah, I kind of do that. And then when I'm winning is I do the same thing. You know, I still, obviously you're happy when you win, but you know, you still got to look at the things you could get better at in those, even when you're winning those matches. Yeah. It's so hard. I, I don't know if you feel this way, but when you win, even if you know you did something that needs to improve or you could have done something better, you can always trick yourself and be like, I did enough to win, so mm-hmm. maybe it's not that big of a deal. But if you had lost the match, you might have dwell on it. Oh, my God, my serve was so bad. It needs to get better. It's so tough not to go on that emotional roller coaster and just see things objectively. A lot of times the results can kind of cloud your judgment. I think sometimes even when I do win, I do find myself finding the negative, And it's not good which i'm working on but uh i think like gosh i could have made those first serves a lot better or we could have won this game if i would have done this you know there's a lot of shoulda woulda coulda you know but you kind of have to think like okay in the moment you sometimes you you don't think about it you know like or you're like oh shoot that's what i should have done so yeah it's there's 
a lot of different aspects to it. We talked about how these matches can come down to super breakers. Is there anything you do in particular when things get close, whether it's like a no ad point, 8-8 in the breaker? Is there any routine or thought that you use to get yourself through those tight situations? Well, we've done it enough that, you know, you'd think we'd be good at it. But uh, no, I mean, the nerves keep, they keep, they creep in. So it, it, it's just a matter of managing it. Um, routines, it's kind of just doing the same things, whether it's a regular point or not, because if you focus and fixate that it's a match point or it's a nade all, it's a big point, you kind of could psych yourself out and, you know, maybe not go after that shot like you wanted to. But um, yeah, for me, I think it's just being control and like taking the initiative. Like if you're, might as well go balls to the wall and be aggressive, you know? And if you tried it, you did it, great. And you know, you don't have that feeling of like, oh, I should have done that. I should have maybe just went for that, you know? And take the risk. I think you gotta risk it to get the biscuit. So I think sometimes that comes in hand. <laughs> How long ago did the tour finals finish? Was that about a week ago? That was the seventh, yes. So not even that long ago, and you told me before the show that you just got done with your first preseason workout. Tennis has the shortest offseason in probably any sport. Oh, my but gosh. <laughs> yeah. Talk me through what a preseason looks like for you. Well, I will have to brag that I was so excited to go on my vacation. I went with Juju, Juliana Olmos, and we kind of just, it was the two of us, we literally sat on the beach for maybe like 10, 10 hours, and we were like, hang on, this is weird. Like, I feel like we should be doing something like, like an agenda, you know, and we sat and just like kind of just chilled for five days. And it was just so nice. It was definitely refreshing and something I'm definitely going to do again, because it was definitely helpful. But um, yeah, started preseason, I took two weeks off of tennis, just to kind of, you know, give myself a break, give my body a rest and reset. And for preseason, I've kind of just, I'm not hitting as much. Um, I'm hit, I'm more in the gym every day than I am hitting this week. So it's something kind of new to me. Um, yeah, I was in the, I do two sessions a day. So it's maybe like an hour and a half or two in the morning and then maybe an hour or so in the afternoon in between tennis or if I don't hit, but it's more so just kind of building up that strength because in a, we have such a long season that our only, our only time really to gain muscle mass or be, get stronger is in the off season, or maybe even after Wimbledon, those just seem like the, the breaks. Well, at least for me, it work. That's just how it works for me. But throughout the season, you're kind of just maintaining that strength and, you know, hoping you're not going to get injured and doing the prehab and the rehab for it. So yeah, that's something, you know, I'm just doing more like today I did like a baseline test to see like where I'm at with my strength and see, you know, okay, what I can improve on agility stuff, some bands, like shoulders, shoulder, prehab you know to prevent the injury but yeah it's kind of just also in some of the injuries that I've had it's kind of just maintaining that the strength of that weak part and kind of just progressing that a little bit and a little bit so just to maintain that that way if I were to get injured like later on later in the tournament you're obviously more prone to get injured so it's kind of building that up a little bit more every single day so it sounds like injury prevention muscular endurance is there any specific things that you do with the WTA trainers? Are there mm -hmm. any specific exercises that you use for doubles, maybe short agility movements, anything like that that you'll be focused on in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, definitely agility is a big one, um, especially in doubles. You know, you're, it's quick reflexes and, react and reactiveness and kind of just seeing like, okay, like 
following the ball, like going off instinct. So, you know, starting this week, it's more like the basic ladder drills. It's kind of just, you know, doing single movements with one foot and then isolating it and doing hand-eye coordination things. You know, we do so much with the racket, but it's also, it's good to do stuff where, you know, it's just with the ball or it's, you know, with the basketball ones, or I don't know if you've seen those things. It's like, it's like red, blue, and white. You kind of just go off those where you call it in the air and it's just, you know, those quick hand-eye coordination things, which are very helpful. And if, you know, you do it maybe every day, maybe every other day, and it's definitely, you're going to get better. Yeah. Our friend Rajiv was on the podcast almost a year ago and he was four in the world at the time. And I asked him what he needed to do to be number one. And he said, win more finals and play better on clay. And he really just kind of ended up winning everything and got to number one. And so it's like, yeah, good plan. Just, just win more tournaments, but you've been top 10, you've been to the semis and finals of slams on the women's side. What do you need to do specifically to win your first women's slam and crack the top five or even get all the way up to number one? I think it's also just a little bit of belief, you know, it's going into these tournaments and believing that you can beat all these teams. Like you kind of, you know, sometimes you're like, Ooh, this is a tough draw, you know, but you kind of have to go out there and be like, Hey, you know what? I've done the work and you know, I'm going to take it to them. I have nothing to lose, but something for me to improve on is, you know, maybe it's just all, all court game kind of coming to the net a little bit more using my volleys as strengths and taking a little bit more risks and closing out, like what you said, closing out some matches and just taking risks is, is key. And then also maybe just positioning wise, I definitely could be better with positioning myself in the right plays. And um, yeah. So how do you know your positioning is right? Do you watch a replay of your match and have someone give you feedback and say, Hey, you should be in the middle of the box more here. Or you should be pinching off this angle more in this situation. How do you evaluate that positioning? Um, yeah, I do have a coach. Um, I've been working with Jared Jacobs this uh, past year. He's been really helpful. We have also have Demi's coach, my doubles partner, Demi Schurz. Her coach has helped us out at WTA finals and just two different coaching styles, but it does help positioning wise. Yeah. It's kind of just, you look at film and you see like, okay, this ball's going there. Like, where should you be? You know, like if you're off like one center, like that ball's going through the middle. Sometimes if you're not in line with your partner, you know, shifting, like if you're tied on a bungee cord, like then you know, you're leaving spots open into the court so that they can hit. So it's kind of just, you know, rewatching, definitely rewatching film. I've been better with it because I used to not, well, I still don't like watching myself because I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I do? Why did I do that? Like I should have missed, you know? So it's, it's definitely good to watch yourself, but sometimes it's so frustrating, (laughs) but you learn, you definitely learn a lot. Yeah. Honestly, I love doing it with my guys at Duke you know, video doesn't lie. You know, they might say, oh, it felt like I did this or my opponent hit the shot here. And it's like, okay, let's just see. A a lot of times you have emotion in the match, whether you're watching it or playing in it, and it clouds how you saw things. And then you watch the video back a day later and it's like, oh, the ball did go where, you know, the coach said it did, or that mistake wasn't as easy as I thought it was in the moment. So everyone should definitely be watching video. Exactly. And I'm like, and for me, as someone like me, like I'm very visual. So like, once I see it, I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, if someone shows it to me, I can, you know, do the same thing, but I'm, yeah, I'm very much visual. You mentioned playing with Demi. You've played with a lot of different partners on tour in your career already. What are the characteristics of a great doubles partner? Well, chemistry, I think is definitely a good one. You got to get along with them. I think on and off the court, it does help. 
but you know, everyone's different. You may not hang out with them as much, you know, maybe you're like not similar in a way, but on court, you guys gel really well. So it's a winning formula. Then yeah, that works. Um, I think also finding if you're, your strengths, like what you can do to help your partners set your partner up to, you know, finish the point. You know, I think someone at the net who's very strong at the net, it definitely helps when you have someone who can serve well from the baseline or, you know, set you up cross court and they can look to move. But uh, yeah, I think that those are the two keys for me. And I think critical, what is it? What's the word? Critical criticism. Constructive criticisms. Constructive criticism. <laughs> Yeah, I went to ASU, guys. Yeah, that's exactly why. Um, anyways, <laughs> constructive criticism is definitely good. So I think you can't take things so personal if you're talking with you, your team, your partner and your coach. You know, you say something, you can't take that to heart. It's just, you know, it's a business. You guys both want to do well and you want to improve and grow and, you know, hopefully do better for the next tournament. When you and Demi call a play... Actually, first of all, how do you decide who calls the play? Is it the server? Is it always you? Is it always her? Depends, I guess, who's taking control that day or who's feeling it. But we definitely do take turns with that. Um, sometimes if I go up to the line, I'm like, okay, this is what I want to do. Maybe she'll be like, mm, I think we already did that play too many times. Like, let's mix it up. Or, you know, you have a different outlet. And also maybe your coach is like, oh, like maybe you should change it up. Do this. Go I formation instead of going regular. You know, maybe fake them out or... But yeah, we definitely do, we do alternate. Sometimes I'll let her call the plays if she's serving. And sometimes if I'm like getting stuck and I'm like, I don't know where I want to go with the serve and they're just returning well or putting us in a difficult position, then I'll say, Demi, you call it, you know, so she feels more comfortable. I've actually done this both ways as a college coach and I've seen it done both ways. Uh, but when you call the play, do you call most of your plays so that the net player will get the first ball? Or do you call it for the server to get the first ball that they want? Well, I definitely think that the net players, it's the goal for the net player to get the volley. But a mixture of both is good, I think. Um, and maybe coming to the net. Like, you know, some people, if you're playing some certain players, they don't like pressure. You know, when you have two people at the net, it's... They feel the pressure and they can just panic and maybe just want to go for the biggest shot and then miss. It's It just kind of it varies. But um, for us, we do a little bit of both. I would think first serves, you're probably getting a weak return. And so we want the net person to get that ball so they're in a position to finish the point. But sometimes second serves are weaker or the opponent has a great return. And now that person at the net is a target and a liability. So you almost want to set that play up to go to the server for a first ball forehand so you can neutralize that opponent. Does that ever factor into your thinking? Yeah. Or, you know, sometimes people think that, like you said, people will think that second your partner's hitting a second serve and that that volleyer's not going to go. But sometimes you want to risk it because you know they might just go cross court. And if your partner has good enough hands, you go and take that risk. Because then the next play, they're like, oh, I got a second serve. Like, am I going to go line or is she going to move? You know, you kind of get into their heads. But just mixing up the plays and changing it up and ha creating chaos at the net is definitely what you want because it gets people unsettled and you don't know what they're going to do. So you want to kind of get them out of their element. That's my favorite part of doubles. You know, you try to figure out what the, what the returning opponent is thinking and then go, they think I'm doing this, so I'm going to do the opposite. And being right about that is the most satisfying feeling of all time. Yeah. When it's like, yes. I know that you know that I know. But guess what? I was the last one to know. 
I knew the most and I got you, that is the <laughs> best feeling in tennis. Yeah. And it's like, you know, sometimes we play against, I play against Juju or so, and it's like, oh, I think she's going to pull this line. And I'm like, no, I'll hold. Sometimes I'm like, okay, I'm going to go. And then she's like, how? Got you. I knew you were going to move. You know, it's just, you're just like, ah, oh, that's like the worst. <laughs> yeah. The cat and mouse game. Yeah. How do you decide where you're going to hit your return? Uh, I think it just varies on that person, you know, who's who you're playing. Cause, because sometimes people, like maybe singles players who aren't comfortable at the net, they don't know what to do with the volley or they kind of just panic and they just stay there. They may have good hands, but, you know, they're on their back heels and you know they're not going to move. If you know they're not going to move, I think you have got that freedom to go cross and you're set up your net player. But if you know this person's moving a lot, sometimes it's good to just go line and try and, you know, keep them honest. Or maybe throw up a lob if someone's not comfortable, you know, mixing it up or getting onto the other side. If they like playing the deuce side, they may not like to hit, you know, the backhand beforehand on that ad side. So, you know, that just definitely varies who you play. I used to laugh because a lot of double teams I coach would call fakes. I'm, actually, I'm going to ask a question about fakes in a second. They would fake like the first three points of the match. And I'm like, what are you faking off of? You've never poached. Like if I'm your opponent, why would I think you're going to poach? You've never done it. You have to poach a few times before I respect it that you might go. So I don't care if you're moving around up there or throwing a shoulder fake. So that's my advice to people out there is move early. So now your opponent at least knows you'll actually do it. And maybe they will respect when you're kind of moving around. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, you've got to start off the match, you know, being aggressive. You don't want to just be like, okay, I'm going to wait to see what they do because then they get comfortable and they might just, you know, be swinging freely and be like, oh, they're not moving, you know? So when you go up, playing the first few games, you want to be aggressive and keep them thinking like, oh, I think they're going to move. You know, it's just, it's that kind of thought process. And if it gets into their heads, they might panic as a returner and not know where to go. All right. So Des, feel free to roast me on this one, but I have never understood when people give a signal for a fake. Like usually it's like fingers twitching or something, but like, I already told you I'm going to stay you better believe I'm going to be moving around all the time trying to get the ball to come to me. I don't really, it's a redundant call. Like if I was playing with you and I've at the net and we're in mixed doubles, you know, holding out hope, maybe I, maybe there's a comeback for, for me to play with you. But you better believe that if I call a stay, I'm not just going to be standing there like a statue. I'm going to be dancing around, moving, trying to get the returner to lose focus or hit the ball right to me. I just think it's such a useless signal. Your thoughts? Well, uh, um, I I think more so it's for the server to know, like, okay, if this person's kind of going to fake, you're not like, oh, crap, I better cover that line. That's my interpretation. But, yeah, I mean, I think a fake. I mean, we already called a stay, so. That's a thing. So it's like, okay, that makes sense. But then you're like, oh, crap, like, maybe they are going, like, you know. But I do, I I don't like maybe maybe my fake was so good that I actually tricked you. Yeah, you might fake me your own partner out. I'm like, wait, hang on, you said stay, and you were like, yeah, I did stay on my side. <laughs> but yeah, I, oh gosh, I mean, we sometimes, yeah, we definitely do that. I think it's just so you know your partner knows. I don't know. <laughs> That's just. <laughs> evaluate that one in your off-season assessment you you and Demi yeah. do we need the fake signal just hey I trust you you said you were staying I trust it I also trust you're gonna dance around yeah no that's true all right boom okay you can thank me for that one 
All right, so this is a good time to transition to Instagram questions because the first one has to do with returning. Uh, the question was, how do you handle returning when your opponent at the net is very aggressive and picking off a lot of balls? Um, I think sometimes it's good to just lob and keep them honest. If they know, if they're closing the net so much and they're on top of the net, I think lobbing is a good option. Um, sometimes if you get a look on maybe the second the second serve looking to come in, so it kind of stops them a little bit, um, puts a little bit more pressure on the baseliner. And if they're, if they're poaching a lot, maybe you call for your partner to just move. You know, you need to switch sides or maybe look to – I think coming in is a, probably a good thing um, to do against that. But, yeah, and mixing it up, just kind of keeping them honest and pushing back a little bit if you need to. What do you do when you're in a match? Maybe you're a set-in and you're not playing well and the score is not in your favor – what are some things that you do to, do to kind of flip that match around? Well, I guess you can just say we can only go up from here. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think you have to just talk to – what I like to do is we talk to each other and say, hey, like, what do you think? You know, I think a set – if you're set down, I feel like maybe you should talk a little bit sooner if things aren't going well because sometimes you get on the bench and you're you both aren't talking and it's like, oh – you know, you're both in your own head, but maybe it's, you know, you voice that out and say, hey, what do you think? What do you think we should do? Change it up. I mean, if you're losing and that is not working, change it up. That could be your best option. You know, try something different. And if they're just playing well, then it's too good. You know, that's just their day. On one of my earlier podcasts in July, Alistair Hyam was on. He was talking about momentum and he was talking about four areas of performance. So, You've got the technical side, which isn't likely to change. You have your physical mm -hmm. conditioning, which isn't likely to change. But what you can do is change the emotion or your mentality, or you can change the tactics in a match. So have you ever gotten down and just decided, you know what, we're just going to crank it up with our energy, some loud commands, bounce around and see if we can swing the energy and momentum of the match that way? Oh, absolutely. You know, like sometimes you don't realize that you are you know, you're bouncing around. Sometimes you realize like, oh crap, we're down five, two. And then, you know, you're kind of walking like not as much energy and, and it's like, okay, you know what? Like, let's get some energy up. Like let's bounce around. Let's give ourselves some commands. Like maybe show them that we're still invested and we have a chance still like that you have that belief. And it, that energy definitely helps. You know, I was watching some of the matches, um, the ATP finals and, and you can tell, like, if someone – or even you know, any match, WTA finals, and you can see, like, okay, they've lost the first set. They've gotten broken, and you're kind of like, shoot. Like, you're a little bit down. Like, you had chances to, you know, break them, and then you're kind of like, gosh, we had that chance. But – and you got to bring that energy back because that energy is going to – it'll help you. It's not going to hurt you. Last question, and obviously the most important, but what is your best doubles advice for the 4-0 doubles adult player? Okay, well, I'm going to say, you know, hopefully this player is listening, but definitely find a good partner. You want a good partner. <laughs> and um, take risks. Like, you know, call plays, look to go, look to, you know, come to the net, be more active at the net. You know, you're going to finish more points at the net and find, just look for more volleys. I think that's those are some key aspects to, I guess, being better. And, you know, you want to serve – Serve well as well, but you want to have a partner that's going to set you up. So also, I definitely think finding a good partner. Do you have any tips for being risky? You've mentioned that a couple times. Is there a hint or a nudge in the right direction when it's a good time to take a risk? Yeah, I think if someone, if you know someone, say, 
your partner's serving body to them and they're getting jammed, maybe look for that ball and see like, oh, is that ball just floating? You kind of go in for that one. Or if you're in the middle of a rally and you see like, okay, their backhand's not that strong. Like I can kind of move, I have time to move off this ball. You know, it's just, it's certain things like that and seeing like your partner hit a deep ball. Okay, I'm going to look to close on this ball and see, do I have a chance to go after the ball? But yeah, I think that's just saying, that's just going, yeah, like I said, with the risks. Um, if you don't risk it, you won't know, like, if you can do it anyways. And you won't know, like, oh, okay, I actually can finish the point off. And then your opponents might back off and say, oh, we got to change something else. We, we, we just have to go down the line. And maybe that's not their favorite shot. And then you're kind of getting them to look a different, you know, like getting them, you know, off balance and thinking, oh, no, like, we don't even know what to do. Whenever I'm in doubt, I just go as a player and then also as a coach when I was calling plays at Duke. I mean, if I was like, man, I'm not sure, are they going to go down the line or not? Well, most returns go cross court, so I'm just going to go and be offensive. Or, hey, I just went and I saw them talking back there on the baseline. And if there was ever any doubt, that's where I want to be. I want to get the ball and I'm going to play the percentages. Yes. 80% of returns, I think, are going to go cross. Yeah. Yeah. So why not just go? But it's easier said than done. I mean, I say that and then I'm like, yeah, not poaching that much. <laughs> so <laughs> it's easier said than done. All right. So this season coming up, then the two things I'm going to track for you are poaching My and face. how many fake signals you gave <laughs> to Demi. If I see your fingers dancing around for a signal, I'm going to be thinking, what is she doing? It's just for Stokey. I'm just showing him how many times I can do that. <laughs> all right. Hilarious. Uh, all right. Well, Des, I'm glad we finally were able to do this. You're on your way to Australia to finish up your preseason and then lead in the, to the Aussie Open. Best of luck this year. We will be following you. I will be tracking those statistics and giving you feedback. But all the best and good luck next year. Thanks so much, Stokey. Appreciate it. So much fun. All right. I want to thank Des for coming on today. So cool to see her doing well. I think it was about five years ago, but we were both teaching after-school clinics when I was at Duke University, and she was just getting going in her career. So it's awesome to see her growth and how she's worked her way up to being one of the best in the world at what she does. We talked about a lot of different things today, but the idea of taking a risk at the net and moving kept coming up. Keep moving around at the net. Cause chaos. Make the returners think. If you decide to poach and they beat you down the line, the worst thing that can happen is you lose a point and you lose a ton of points anyways. So take some chances, be aggressive, and become a menace at the net. I want to thank you all for listening. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there, and I'm grateful you chose to join me today. I'm motivated to evolve and improve, so please subscribe if you enjoyed the episode, and leave a comment or review so we keep getting better every week. For more, check out my Instagram, at Stokey Tennis, for clips from these podcasts, as well as general drills and tips to help your tennis game. Thanks for listening. I hope you just improved at tennis without even hitting a ball.